Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of Still Being Molly. And this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an incredible person who is trying to make a positive impact, not only with their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make a difference wherever you are. This week is a special bonus episode. I wanted to bring this one to you as soon as possible. Uh, My guests this week are Marissa Williams, Shaquita Hyman, and Tiffany Moon. uh, They are each bloggers um, on their own, but together they have created an incredible group called Our Shades of Influence. Our Shades of Influence is a group of these three diverse, beautiful women within the influencer community, and their goal as influencers is to inspire, educate, and empower people of all shades, shapes, and sizes. They strive to improve the visible shortage of partnerships between businesses and influencers and bloggers of color. As women of color, they want to partner with businesses to represent their brands with integrity while helping to tap into the buying power of the minority market because there is beauty in color. Marissa and I are actually, we we go back, our friendship goes back almost 10 years. Uh, she's one of my, the first blogging friends I made when I moved to North Carolina. Uh, Shaquita had the opportunity to um, meet last year. We both actually spoke on a panel at an influence conference here in uh, North Carolina. Um, and Tiffany is a new to me friend. Um, but we, we wanted to come together um, to just have a conversation about everything that's going on in the world right now. I'm just gonna say this is a this is a long episode, but I um, it is important, and I pray that uh, you would listen with open ears. We have um, important, difficult, hard, deep, hopeful, emotional conversations, um, and I just I pray that this conversation would impact you, um, that it would encourage you, and that it would challenge you to play a role in ending racism in 2020 and beyond in understanding that this isn't something that's going to change overnight we can't undo 400 years of history overnight but we can play a part each one of us so without further ado on to my conversation with marissa shaquita and tiffany I am so excited to have three just amazing, amazing women with me on the show tonight, today, wherever you, whenever you are listening to this. This is a going to be a special kind of bonus edition of the show. And um, I have two friends who I've known uh, one for a while. One I met last year, and now a, a third new friend uh, here. And you know, I was having a conversation with Marissa, who you're about to meet in a second. And um, I, I was saying, you know, I want to have you guys on the show. And it could have been later in the year. But I said, nope, we need we need to have this conversation now. So I'm just really, really honored to welcome to the show the women who have founded Our Shades of Influence. And that is Marissa Williams, Shaquita Hyman, and Tiffany Moon. And so first, welcome to the show, y'all. Thank you. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Yes. All right. So first, I want to have you guys do what all my guests do, and that's give us the the, uh, the 101. So first, let's give us the Our Shades of Influence 101. So how did y'all get connected? What is Our Shades of Influence? How did you guys get started? So Our Shades of Influence actually stemmed from another group that's founded, um, I believe, out of Houston. They're called Influencing in Color, and they are, I believe, four girls that created that group to bring more awareness to um, the lack of diversity in the influencer market. It initially just started as an idea for a photo shoot. I was like, I want to get, you know, 
as many people together as possible to do this amazing photo shoot. And I started reaching out to some black influencers that I follow. So I reached out to Shaquita, I reached out to Tiffany, I reached out to a couple other people. And I was like, would you guys be interested in doing this photo shoot? And we had this amazing photo shoot. It was so much fun. And I just clicked with Shaquita and Tiffany in particular, you know, they they really stepped up to the plate and offered to help with coordination. Shaquita's got such an amazing business, like focused mind. She's like, yes. hey, have you thought about partnering with people to sponsor clothing? And I was like, I didn't even think about that. That's an amazing idea. So um, between the three of us, I think we really just like we got donations from Belk in terms of clothing items. We got a local boutique to make us earrings that were, you know, the shade of our complexions. And oh, I, um, I mean, we got, you know, a local photographer who did the whole shoot for us and like comped it. Like we didn't oh. have to pay anything. We had makeup done by a local makeup artist. So I really wanted it to be a very inclusive shoot. I wanted to use as many resources that were local as possible so that we could shout those places out and they would mm-hmm. get some attention to them as well. And then uh, in a very cheesy bachelor-esque move, I asked if they would accept the rose and be <laughs> um, partners with me and start this group because I really felt like it could be a movement. So that's kind of how it all like started. And we, we've just kind of taken off a little bit from there. That is so awesome. I love it in a very bachelor-esque way. <laughs> you accept this? Will you accept this rose? Yes. Um, we, we check yes or no. You accept this rose and also these responsibilities. <laughs> uh, I love that. Uh, well, since you started off, uh, Marissa, I would love for you to give us the Marissa 101. And um, I was trying to think about it today as to when we first met. And, it's 10 years ago. I mean, it's 10 years ago, which is mm-hmm. just like crazy. You were one of the first people I met, like one of my first friends yeah. when I started, well, not when I started blogging, but when I moved to North Carolina, I was mm-hmm. trying to connect with bloggers in the area. And you were just one of those first people that I kind of reached out to. And I was like, yeah. will you be my friend? <laughs> I will be your friend. Uh, yeah. I was, uh, you know, when, when we kind of connected over, over talking and, um, you know, over this podcast episode, I told mm-hmm. the other girls, I was like, I hadn't thought about it until I was talking to them. And I was like, yeah. I've known her for like 10 years. I, now that I think about it. It's, it's been crazy. a really long time. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, I started my own personal blog, which is Shabby Chic Cheap, after I had my first son. Um, and I was just kind of in a space where I wasn't sure, you know, now that I was a mom, like, if I needed Thank to change you. or be a certain way, could I still wear fun clothes that I need to dress like an adult, whatever that meant. And, um, you know, I just needed an outlet for myself and, I, and I, I needed it to kind of help with my self-esteem and my body image. I mean, there's just so much that goes on when you yeah. are pregnant and you give birth and you have so many different feelings and, you know, the whole other topic of how society makes you feel and all of that. And so I created my blog we had some events where I met you, Molly, and, and there's definitely been times where I've taken breaks and stuff, but I try to focus on fashion and beauty, little bits of, of my life, some recipes, and I try to do it all on a budget and, uh, you know, keep it as affordable as possible. There's, you know, again, been times where I took breaks and haven't been as consistent, but within the last two years, I've definitely been trying to, to stick with it a little bit more. No, oh, I love that. Yeah. You, yeah, you have been around a long time. Yeah. <laughs> here. I mean, um, I mean, just so back when we were blog, when we started, it was like people were like, blog? <laughs> I remember my roommate in college. Cause I started my, my blog, like my senior year of college. And I remember mm-hmm. my roommate was like, what's a web blog. <laughs> yeah. 
one, nobody calls it a weblog. So you can, you can change that. So, um, and it's okay. crazy how much yeah. it's taken off. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could not have predicted that. No way. No way. Um, I love that. Thanks, Marissa. Um, yeah. Okay. Shaquita. I'm going to have you give us the Shaquita Hyman 101. We met a year ago, like basically, yeah, like right at a year ago, we were both speaking at the um, the Lux Blog Influence Conference. And when as soon as I met you, I was like, I like this girl. She is my people. So <laughs> um, intro- introduce yourself. To give us the Shaquita Hyman 101. Well, hello, everyone. Um, again, as Molly said, I'm Shaquita Hyman, and I am the founder of the Unconventional Southern Belle LLC. I've been blogging for almost three years, um, and it has been a crazy fun ride. Um, I really started my blog as a way to connect with people and as a way to uh, share my knowledge, really. Mm. Um So I I am educated as a counselor. So helping people is my profession. And I realized that starting a blog was another way to help people. So once I had that revelation, I kind of jumped on it and it's really just kind of evolved from there. Yeah, I've had the opportunity to work with so many phenomenal brands and um, just really grow this thing into a business, which is so strange to me because I was never the type to be entrepreneurial. I was a very yeah. box thinker. Um, you get a job, you work for 30 years, you retire, you die. <laughs> and, I, and I am so not that person anymore. Uh, between my husband and I, we have three businesses, um, which is crazy. Yeah, y'all are entrepreneurs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in the last three years, I mean, all of this has really just taken off. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's crazy time, um, but in a good way. Um, yeah. So I'm just really blessed to be in this space and to have made so many phenomenal friends, especially the folks that I'm sitting here with today. So. I love it. I love it. Thank you, Shaquita. All right. My new friend, Tiffany, I, I've just told her that we're going to be friends, so I hope that's okay with her. Uh, Tiffany, give us the Tiffany 101. Um, so I'm originally from Connecticut, uh, born and raised. We moved to Charlotte first and then we moved to Raleigh, but we've been in North Carolina, I think now for six years, Mm. I've been blogging for two. And so I am the Northern Belle of the South. Um, when I moved here, I was surrounded by Southern Bells and I was like, uh, I'm a Northerner through and through. (laughs) (laughs) I am a city girl. But I'm a bell, and I was raised by a Southern Bell, so I was like, "Oh, let's do the Northern Bell of the South. Why not?" And originally, I think it was really, it really just was for fashion. But I've always been very, very opinionated, and so it very quickly became an outlet for me where I could really express myself and connect with other women and connect you know, over different experiences. And like Shaquita said, like I used to be a box, like I would keep everything in a box. I would keep myself in a box. And then I think really, I think meeting them was the tipping point where I was like, oh my gosh, like I can monetize my blog and, you know, I can turn it into a different platform. It doesn't just have to be just talking about clothes. So it's, it's definitely evolved in in the two years um, that I've been doing it. Yeah. That's, that's how I started. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I, again, I just think all three of you are beautiful and brilliant and your blogs are amazing. And so you obviously on the surface, there's so much 
you guys are doing so many good things, but then you guys are really taking that to a, another level and you are using those platforms, those God-given platforms for good and for influence and using your influence for good. And I think that is... Um, in the quote unquote influencer age, which it's funny because I'm one of those people like, I don't even like it when I, when people say I'm an influencer, like I don't, for something about that, that I'm like, I don't, I mean, I'm like, if you know one person, you are an influencer, like you can influence anybody. But at the same time, like when we are given a platform, like we can use that platform to impact. And, um, and so I, I want to talk a lot about the importance of the influence that you guys are, are doing to kind of increase awareness and create change, like actual change in the in influencer industry that has a severe lack of diversity problem. <laughs> but before we get there, we have to kind of, I think the important thing here, and, and we've kind of talked about this, is, is what's going on in our world right now. This is, for a lot of people, they are waking up to what has been your lives. And I would love for you guys, like I just really want to give you guys the floor to just kind of share what do you think it is about the senseless murder of George Floyd that was the tipping point for people? What is it about that? I've actually thought about the same thing, Molly, and um, I know that you said you've talked to other folks who are also having the same question. And I personally think it's the fact that there were so many deaths of young Black people that occurred in such rapid succession mm -hmm. and had been filmed, and that we got to the point where they're like, you know what? It's 2020. It's enough. It's enough. We're done. You know, I feel like before there was so much space in between when folks were killed. And we've had three people killed since 2020 started. So in the last two months, last three, yeah. I mean, seriously, in the last quarter of the year, we've had three people die, seriously, at the hands of cops. Well, Amar Aubrey, of course, was not cops, but still, like, in, at the hands of people who think our lives are just less than, you yeah. know, it's crazy to me. And I think that is what really got us to this point where we're like, enough is enough. Yeah. Those are the ones we know about. Yeah, those are the ones that are publicized. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely yeah. right. I don't know, you know, if being in quarantine has something to do with it because I feel like we've had this time to, you know, slow down, whether it was planned or not. You know, there was so mm -hmm. much that we could not do. We weren't, you know, you're not allowed to go out. You're not allowed to eat in restaurants. You're not allowed to interact and socialize the way that you normally would. And I don't know about you guys, but there's like only so much Netflix and Hulu and all of that stuff and even the news, but and you just, you know, all of that that you can take. And I feel like, you know, you have this time to really think about things differently, um, to, to have more meaningful conversations with people. I feel like I've connected with a lot more people during this time in quarantine than I have or than I would normally, you know, like I've actually been writing cards and, and just like doing things like that. And so I think when this happened, it was a shock because why? I mean, that's the, like the only, you know, the only thing I could think of is, 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 is just why. And it, it's shocking to, I, I've not watched the video I, and I don't want to, but I feel like it's, it's shocking to actually sit there and watch someone lose their life and watch them beg and watch them plead and watch them cry and watch them ask and be ignored and then eventually watch them take their last breath. That's not something that I, I want to see, but it's something that I feel like we see 
way too often. Mm-hmm. And it, it just happens way too often. Yep. And it, it happens in circumstances that I feel like for other people who may not be black for normal situations, you know, Ahmad Aubrey was, he was just going for a jog. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to get out the house. I've been cooped up. I just want to go exercise a little bit, get some fresh air, move my body, you know? And I don't think that when he went and left for that job that he would, there's no way for him to know that that was the last time that he would do it. I think the tipping point with George Floyd, I think it was getting it on camera. And I think it was Mm -hmm. hearing the fear in his voice, you know, because that's something that's something you can't make up like that fear and how it hits you in your gut. Like that's something you can't, it's traumatic. Like I finally watched the video. It is true. It's so traumatic Mm. to listen to somebody plead for their life and not for like, and not to say if it was a shorter amount of time that it would have been better, but for eight minutes and 46 seconds, and then to watch the light literally dissipate from his eyes. I think the tipping point was that it was on camera, that you heard it, that you felt it. And I think it was that there were others around and didn't do anything. I think that's why people said enough, because this is no longer a he said, she said, this is what happened, but they said this, that this happened. You can't dispute what happened on that film. You can't dispute it. It's <laughs> like, it's horrific. It is, it is beyond. It's, it's very evident and and it's cruel, honestly, mm-hmm. you know, they, they did a moment of silence for eight minutes and 46 seconds at his memorial service today. And that's a long time. It's a long time. It was a very long time. And I, I can't imagine that. I cannot imagine feeling like I can't breathe. And I'm asking you, please, please. I just like, I can't breathe. Yeah. And it, it just, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I couldn't. I mean, this for me, the still pictures were enough. Like, I didn't even need to. I I couldn't watch the video. I couldn't watch the video of Ahmad. And I I mean, I'm speaking this as very much a very like almost transparent white woman. I don't tan. I burn. Uh, so I, I the increase of cell phones and how cell phones have have just brought to light what has been reality. And I saw something the other day that just hit me in my gut. And it was like, you think that it was like something to the effect of like, you think we were crying because of George Floyd. The reality is we haven't stopped crying since Emmett Till. Mm-hmm. No. And I, I just like, this is truth, like truth. And it, it, it's at the point now where people can't ignore it. And if you're choosing to ignore it, then you can no longer say that you don't know. Right. You can no longer live in quote unquote, like blissful ignorance. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we went to the museum in DC last year on our anniversary trip and that Emmett Till exhibit is a whole completely different mood from the rest of the museum. And there's no way to walk through that and see those pictures and see that casket and not just feel heavy. And, you know, having two black sons and having a black husband and even a black daughter, there are so many instances where I think about the precautions that I take and the actions that I do with them that I wish I didn't have to do or that I wish I didn't have to take. Like, 
sometimes my husband's like, oh, I'm just going to go to the store really fast. And I give him like the tightest hug. Like it's, you know, yes, I love him. Yes, we hug and we kiss each other and, and we show affection. But sometimes I do that just for myself, just so that I know like, well, if anything happens, I just like, I want to have like this last really good tight hug with you so that I can remember that. Or when my kids go to school and they think that I'm just taking a picture of them every day to send to grandma, I'm taking that picture every day so that if something happens, I know exactly what they wore. I know exactly how they looked. I know exactly what their hairstyle looked like. So that if I had to do a description for any reason whatsoever, I'd be able to provide that for them. Or I would have control over what, what what's shown in the media even. There's so many just things I think people don't think about that they take for granted. And that's fine because we all take things for granted. And I understand that. But there's a whole other side to life that we have to experience and go through that I don't think a lot of people realize. Yeah. And it's, it's telling my son, don't wear your hoodie. Don't put the hood on your head because I don't want it to look a certain way. Don't put your hands in your pockets because I don't want it to look a certain way. Don't wear that hat on your head when we're inside of this place, because I don't want them to think anything. Don't walk too fast. Don't look at that. Don't touch that. Don't pick that up. Don't, 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 don't do this. You can't do this. And he's, he's just about to be 10 next week. You know, Yeah. why can't he do those things? Why can't he wear his hoodie? Cause he loves wearing his hoodie and it's comfortable for him. Why can't he wear his baseball hat? Because he loves wearing his baseball hat and it's cool for him. Why can't he walk with his hands in his pocket? Because that's how he wants to walk around. Yeah. I know that this, you know, again, like we, we said that this is not, this is not anything new for the black community. Racism is a lived experience that you experience every single day. And again, people are waking up to that Mm -hmm. and it's sad it frustrates me <laughs> that people are just now waking up to this. So I know it frustrates you. <laughs> like, yeah. um, you know, there's a lot, the, the common white people thing to do right now is reach out to the black people they know and go, what can I do? Yeah. And I'm like, I, it's like one of those things where it's like, we know that that's good intentions, but the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah. So what has your experience been with that? And like, what would you say to say, instead of saying that, like, here are some things that you could maybe do instead? I mean, you know, yeah. I think, you know, how are you doing is just like, I mean, I don't know what you want me to say when you ask that because there's so much going on and it's so heavy. Yeah. And there are so many thoughts and feelings that we're, we're going through And I think maybe for me, just like a, you don't even have to ask me how I'm doing or I appreciate the intent and I appreciate them reaching out. But, you know, even if it was just something along the lines of, hey, I know there's, there's a lot going on right now. I just want to let you know that I'm thinking about you. And if there's anything you need, just let me know. And like, just something as simple as that. We don't have to have long drawn out conversations every time or every day because there's something else that comes up in the news or there's something, you know, new, there's this, you know, new thing or, or whatever it is. Like, if you just let me know, like, Hey, Marissa, you know, I'm, I just want you to know that I'm here. If you need me for anything, I'm thinking about you and just leave it at that. I'd be, you know, like perfectly fine. I've gotten, you know, if there's a question that they have, 
I don't mind answering that and, you know, just letting them know, like, this is just my perspective. I'm not the authority on all Black people, but I'm happy to have these conversations because I think they're really important. And, um, and I want people to understand that, like, these conversations are important. And I, and I know that they're uncomfortable. And I know it can be awkward. But, you know, if you have someone that you feel comfortable enough with reaching out and talking to, I think that, that, that they should make that effort and they should do it. But just you know, again, do so knowing that it's a very sensitive issue and a very sensitive topic. And we might not be in the mood to talk all the time or every day. I've had a number of my white friends, and I'm sorry, you guys, I know y'all can see me. I turn into a crackery pumpkin every night at eight o'clock. I just sob, apparently. I'm sorry. Um, but I've had a number of my, my friends who are white who've reached out to me and have asked, what can they do? And it's so awkward, you know, it's like, and I know it's well-meaning. And I'm like to my husband, like, do I say, you know, bring me a covered dish because I'm black in America? Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what to, like, what to say, but I know a lot of my, my friends have really been very supportive. They have, I wrote a blog post where I rounded up a lot of different resources for people to use and they have all told like we're using it. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, I've sent them things to like fill out petitions, those things, they've done them immediately. Um, one of my very good friends, her name is Haley, she texted me, I was like, I'm thinking of you. She's like, I'm praying for you. Let me know if you need anything, home-baked cookies. And I was like, ooh, home-baked cookies sounds great. I'm just joking, don't let me take advantage. And I kid you not, like three hours later, there were cookies on my doorstep. I mean, and those cookies are good. I mean, so like they have been showing up in ways that I don't need. Haley, if you ever hear this, don't bring me any more baked goods. But I mean, so it's it's awkward, but it's also it's it's so good when people just kind of they act like, you know, um, I don't know. I, it's weird. Like again, I'm not the authority on all things black, so I can't say what we all need. But I know from it's like I don't I don't know what to tell you that I don't know what I need. I need racism to end. You know, I I don't know how we do that tomorrow. We can't. So it's like I don't I don't know. You know. I mean, both Shaquita, you and Marissa alluded to something that I think like needs to be stated. And, and that is like, black people are not a monolith. Just like white people are not a monolith. Like, and it literally any race, any ethnicity, any culture, like people are different. Like God made us and created us differently. And we are all different. We're all going to have differing opinions. Yes. Some of our experiences might be similar, but like, we're not all the same. And so it's like not, no one person can be the spokesperson for an entire group of people. But I think the importance of having real conversations with people and, and creating community with people who look different than us and who you know, speak different languages and who, um, you know, come from different backgrounds and who believe different and pray different and all those kinds of things. Like we have to surround ourselves in community with people who we are. So we're not just in this echo chamber. Right. So I think that that's a really important point to kind of just emphasize and to, to, you know, especially I'm, I'm speaking directly to white people here is like to have that respect and understanding that like, you can't expect your black friends to just like speak for <laughs> an entire race. Like you just can't, you can't do that. And so, but create relationships with people, like be in relationship with people and they don't like black people don't owe you anything. They don't owe you, you know, a response. Um, and Marissa, I love that you kind of said that you've had friends just kind of check in and just, 
be like, look, you don't have to respond. I'm just letting you know I'm thinking of you, praying for you. Like Shaquita, I love the example of somebody like showing up on your doorstep with some home-baked cookies. Like that is, that's showing up. And um, I think that's really, I think that's really important. And, and you're right. Like we can't erase or, um, you know, undo 400 years of systemic racism in a week. Like it's, it's not possible, but I mean, this feels different. Something about what is going on feels different. I just hope that, you know, I know a lot of people are, have been like muting their feeds for the week. And I just hope that the movement and the momentum continues past the 7th of June, that people, you know, yeah, we, we are going to have to get back to, you know, our regularly scheduled programs, but I hope, and I pray that this is still something they realize the importance of and the necessity of, and that they'll continue to still utilize their platforms in that way, that they'll still continue to be supportive in that way that, you know, and it's not even necessarily just in a public way with social media, you know, there are so many other things that people can do to show their support and to educate themselves and, you know, to take part in it. And they can do it in ways that they're comfortable with. You know, we're not asking everyone to go out and protest. Some people aren't comfortable with that and that's okay. But there are other resources that you can use and other, other ways that you can show support that would, you know, suffice just as much. Yeah. And it starts too with just with educating yourself. Uh, Google, as my friend Chidima says, Google is your friend. You can use Google, it's free, books, podcasts, Netflix. There's a lot of resources out there that you can educate yourself. And we live in the digital age. It's so, yeah, it's really, really important. And is there anything that, you know, as, as difficult as I know this week has been, and I as emotional as I know it has been, as there have been a, a, just a wide range of emotions from angry to, to sad to, I mean, just name it. <laughs> There's been emotions. Is there anything in particular, and, and any of you can share, yeah. that has given you hope? Like, what is the hope that you see or feel right now? Or the, the has there been a glimmer of it? Has there been a moment that has just really impacted you? Um, so for me, I think it's been, I think it's been all of the, uh, all the DMs that have come from people that I don't know that have been so empathetic, you know, they've been, I I can't understand. I won't even act like I can understand, but just know, like, I'm sorry, anything that I can do, like I'm here. I think that for me, because I think Mm -hmm. we're at a time where social media can really make or break a lot of things. And I think with this in particular, this movement, I honestly think social media has Mm -hmm. been a pivotal part of pushing this forward towards the right, like in the right direction. And so I know for me, it's really just been the DMs. Like my DMs have been overflowing with people just saying, I just want to say thank you for Mm -hmm. speaking out. I just want to say thank you for telling your side of of how you grew up and how you feel. I just want to say thank you for you know, giving your opinion. And like I've said to a lot of my followers, I can't tell Mm -hmm. you everything, but as a black female, it would be remiss of me not to tell you something. 
because a history book can only teach you facts. It's very clinical. It's, and it's not all of it is tailored to everything that happened. Now, me as a black woman, I can tell you how I felt. I can tell you what my ancestors passed down. I can tell you what they talked about and what they felt. And to me, that strikes more action, that emotion, it, it invokes action rather than clinically reading a history book. This was mm-hmm. slavery. This is who died. This is who was enslaved. This is who plowed the dirt. End of story. No, when you talk about how it still affects families today, how the separation of families when they were slaves, separating them and making, selling, you know, the husband to one household and the the wife to another, how that still plagues the Black community today. That, I think, can help propel a movement. And that, I think, makes the difference. Whereas just telling somebody, figure it out. They can't. They can't. No, I was just going to say, kind of piggyback on what Tiffany said as well as um, and I'm going to try not to get emotional again, but she's really put herself on the front lines of this movement. And that's scary. Yeah. And I respect her so much. And it really is her calling. My God. It is, I mean, and the hate that she has gotten as well. <laughs> this is her life every day. She's put her family at risk, you know, just being vocal. And it's not easy just because you're black. It's not easy to speak out. It's not black with a white husband and a half white daughter in the South. It is not. It's very difficult. I really think like people think like it's only white people having difficult conversations right now. All of our households are having difficult conversations. I had to talk to my daughter about racism and about a man dying. I have to talk to my husband about being safe because he's married to a vocal black woman who's a blogger. I, I like I'm nervous. I'm nervous to go outside. I'm nervous to go places. I'm like I'm nervous for him. I'm nervous somebody's going to be like, "Oh, you're you're a traitor to our race." Really? Like it's not it's not easy. It's not easy. I have lost sleep. Uh, I've had pits in my stomach. I've talked to my mom about it. It's not it's not easy. It's not. I think it's worth it. I think it needs I think it needs to be said. But this is we are no safer now than our ancestors were during the civil rights movement. We have a president who says when the looting starts, the shooting starts. I literally felt like he was saying, if you are out there and they're looting, you will, like, if you are a casualty, that is, that's your own fault. Like you, if you're out there, I don't know what to tell you. So for me, it's like, I think back to the photos that my family showed me of, of our ancestors being mauled by dogs when they're just trying to stand up to, for, for basic civil rights. It is every man's right for basic to have basic civil rights. If we're good enough to plow, yeah. If we're good enough to plow the dirt and build this country on our backs, which is literally what our ancestors did, we should have just basic, just basic. I mean, I, I personally think we should get more than basic, but to not even be treated like a human being, like it's just asinine to me. You're just asking for the fundamentals, you know. But to some people, it's not fundamental. To some people, they do not believe that is fundamental for a Black person, which to me is, it is mind-boggling. It is mind-boggling. And explain that to a kid is worse because you are literally, you are causing their loss of innocence. It's not somebody else causing it. You're causing it. Your hand is being forced. That is the worst feeling in the world. The worst. It's horrible. I agree. I think, you know, I saw a post earlier this week and it, it was like a, a mother with her son. And, and I think her, I believe her protest sign said, you know, when does he become a threat? And she had this beautiful yeah. young black boy 
And that really hit me hard because I look at my kids every day and they're my kids, you know, I love them. They fight, they play, you know, they hug me, they kiss me. Yesterday, I I was talking to Shakrita and Tiffany on another Zoom call and they're coming in here and they're, hi, hi, Auntie Quee, hi, Auntie Tiff, and showing their buses and their cars. And, you know, like they're, they're just so loving and they're so full of life and they're so full to me of potential and promise. And to think that somebody doesn't even place value on them, thinks that, that they're not worth anything. They don't even deserve to be able to breathe while being detained for something, for nothing, honestly. But to not even feel like they have the right to breathe, to exist, in all honesty, is beyond me. I, I don't understand that. Because I, I, and I, and I just, I don't get it. I don't know how you could deny. I look at them and I just like, how can I, I, I want to give them this amazing world and I want them to have these amazing opportunities and I want them to be able to live this fulfilling, amazing life. And I, I can't promise them that there's, there's, you know, different conversations in every household and the ones that I have to have with my kids. You know, I wrote a blog post recently and I said, I don't, get anxious about having the sex talk with my son. I don't really, that's not something that I think about. I'm thinking about having to talk with my son, you know, when he's, when he's old enough to be driving out by himself and he's at, you know, going, maybe he's getting up, you know, an after school job and he has to work at night. That's a conversation I'm going to have to have with him about driving to work and back home at night. And if something happens, what that protocol is, you know, make sure you say yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Make sure that you let them know that you're reaching to the glove compartment to get your registration or don't even reach at all. Just let them know it's in the glove compartment. You can get it yourself. Like that's the conversation that gives me anxiety. That's what keeps me up at night. You know, it's not things that I wish, you know, I wish that that was my, my anxious moment. I wish that I was sitting here saying like, Hey, you know, you guys, my son's turning 10 in a couple of days, he's, he'll be hitting puberty pretty soon. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to have that talk with him. But I, I could honestly, I don't, I'm not even concerned about it because my biggest concern is just making sure that I keep him alive and that he keeps himself alive by doing these things that, that he has to do. I just, um, one, thank you for sharing all of that. And I realize that words are, um, Words are just words and there has to be action. But for one, I just want to say I'm sorry. That is the reality that you face. And I've had, you know, I've just had a lot, I've had a lot of conversations with my kids about racism and, you know, they're six and four, but I'm like, we're having these conversations. And and my daughter who is six was just, you know, the first time that we had the conversation about it, she just looked at me and she was like, I don't that makes no sense. Why would someone not like somebody just because of the color of their skin? And I said, you're right. Like on a, on a child level, like it is, as, it really is as simple as that. And it is just something I, like I will truly never be able to wrap my mind around. But then I, like, I've had to do a lot of just internal work on like acknowledging the privilege that I had growing up in a really diverse dev- environment, growing up in a school where all of my friends look different than me. My mom was really intentional from an early age about having books in my house that featured 
kids that didn't look like me. Like, and that was not something that was common in the eighties and nineties, but like, I still have stacks of books that were mine as a kid that, that I read to my daughter that feature black and brown boys and girls that don't look like me. And they were some of my favorite books, but that was just something that was normal. Like my favorite shows were Family Matters and Moesha. Like, I mean, these were, but I realized that that is not, like I had to get to a point where I was like, that's not normal. And, but that doesn't also exclude me from maybe like implicit biases I might have had from, from being exposed to certain things in media. So like, what do I need to unlearn? And then also understanding like, okay, well then, how do I like hold a fellow, like, how do I call fellow white people to task when they're saying something racist? Like, how do I call, like have an uncomfortable conversation? Like I'm, I'm an Enneagram too for any Enneagram people. Like, and I am, I'm, I'm the peacemaker. Like I am just a people pleaser, a recovering people pleaser. Um, but at the same time, like I'm also somebody who my whole life, like I person who will, <laughs> I will stand up for what's right. I will call out something that's not okay. And that's, that's who I am. But when it comes to like having a conversation with somebody who I'm close with, who maybe says something they shouldn't, and then I got to call that out, like that's uncomfortable. Or if I realize I said something, I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. That was, I should, I, why did I say that? Or like, or even maybe something I didn't even know, like I, I mean, just ignorance and just beginning to again, unlearn and unwrap and, and have really uncomfortable conversations. And I think maybe it was Shaquita, but some, something was like, you got to lean into that uncomfortable. Like we have to lean into the uncomfortable. We have to lean into the things that might feel awkward because that's where change happens. That's where change happens. So I think if we lean into these uncomfortable conversations and we have them, I feel like mm-hmm. it's, it's more of lean into the discomfort, but lead with love. You know what I mean? You don't have to make it a hostile conversation. You don't have to make it a confrontational conversation. You don't have to embarrass them or demean them in any way. And sometimes people mm-hmm. honestly say things and they truly are just unaware of how that could be hurtful or why that would be hurtful. And just think about the patience that you have with your children when they may say or do something that's wrong and you have to teach them, you know, well, we don't say that to our friends or we don't call our friends that, or we don't, you know, do these things because X, Y, Z, you have to have that same mindset when you're having these conversations. And, you know, something I kind of always fall back on sometimes, especially with parenting, when I feel frustrated and I, I'm like, I don't know what to do is I think about mm-hmm. the patience, honestly, and the love that God and Jesus have for us. Yeah. And when I think about all the things that I've done in my life, I'm not perfect by any means. We've all fallen short. We've all done things that we're ashamed of. We've all done things that were not right at some point in our lives. And to know that he still loves me, that he still accepts me, that, you know, I try to have even that same just spirit and mentality with these same conversations and, 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 and with my children and in parenting and in marriage and in friendships and in relationships and with coworkers. And, you know, that message applies truly to me. It, it can be applied to any and everything in any and every situation. If you lead with love, even in the discomfort, it's going to be received in a loving manner and in a positive manner. And I've had so many people reach out this week you know, in DMs, as Tiffany was talking about earlier, that some of them I know, some of them I don't know, some of them are new followers, some of them have been following for a while, some people I know personally. And 
some people like, you know, there's a lady, she asked me a question just now. She's like, listen, I'm trying to figure out what, what, what can I do? She's like, I, I've ordered some books on Amazon for my kids to read. And, you know, I've donated to some foundations and I've signed some petitions, but she's like, but I live in a predominantly white neighborhood. I don't know how to diversify my friend group. Like what, and I'm, and I don't like socializing. She's like, I'm very much an introvert and I don't know what Mm -hmm. to do. And the thing is like, we don't, like you said, have to solve this in one week and we don't have to do everything, but you can do something. And if that something is signing a petition, then that's amazing. And if that something is ordering some books so that your kids can see brown faces, then that's amazing. And if your something is saying, you know what, I'm going to schedule a play date with some different kids in my, mm. in, in, my, in my classroom so that they can get to know each other a little bit, then that's amazing. You don't have to take on the responsibility and the weight of everything. That's too much and it's too heavy. And it's impossible and you'll just get overwhelmed and give up. Yeah. You just look at what you can do and then you just, you know, if there's five things that you can do, you do those five things. If there's, you know, two things that you can do, you do those two things. One of the other things that I was thinking about today is, you know, I know we've all been sharing a whole lot um, resources as well as things that we find around the internet, like videos of people being hurt and um, just people being very racist and disrespectful. And I just really want white people to understand this is not out of hate like I don't hate white people some of my best friends are white but it's more to educate and and I know that there is a lot of um fatigue from all the things that are being shared but again this is our life every day you know so again I just want to reiterate like the things that I share are not out of hate it's to educate and to just give a glimpse into the experience of being a black person in America but again I love all people I love everybody, which is, yeah. So that really did. I thought about that. I think that's really important to say, Shaquita, because um, I've had so many of the messages include that they feel guilty. And so part of what Mm. I have been saying when I'm responding is this isn't about making you feel guilty. It's not about making you feel bad, but, you know, it's very much about educating and bringing awareness to things that we've just been dealt and been experiencing our entire lives. And and now that you're aware of it, what can we do to make sure that, you know, maybe my son doesn't have to experience these things or, or go through these, these situations and experiences. Yeah. How do we move forward? And that's, it's not about being guilty for what's taken place in the past because we can't change that. And nothing we do can change. Like you said, 400 over, 400 plus years yeah. of this oppression, but we can move forward and we need to just figure out what we need to do to do that. Or how, you know, how can we just get the ball rolling to go in that direction? I think that's the million dollar question though. I think every time this happens, every time one of these deaths happens and a revolution like this happens, uh, for lack of a better word, it becomes, we're going to do better and we're going to, you know, we're going to change and we're going to, we're going to do stuff long-term and it, mm-hmm. it never pans out that way. It goes for maybe six months and then there's another death goes for six months and then here's another death. I mean, and again, with a country that is built on slavery and a declaration of independence that was written by white men for white men and women, I don't know when this country will be ready to really dive into it and figure out equality and treating people with respect 
and grace. I think a lot of people thought that when Barack Obama became president, that that was going to change everything. Absolutely not. No, Mm -hmm. all he changed was the history books. If anything, honestly, I think racism became much more prevalent after he went into office. People became much more bold. I grew up in a predominantly Jewish town, and I remember when he was elected, they hung noose in the center of our town. It was ridiculous. So, and, and in Connecticut, like where everyone is, not everyone, because we definitely have the towns where they're full of the KKK, but my town, very, very like all encompassing, like so good about celebrating everyone. I mean, it'd be free King's Day, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah. They didn't care. They celebrated everybody and racism was still prevalent there. So, you know, I don't, I don't know. Like I, I wish, and I hope that with George Floyd's death, that things would change. But I'm sure our ancestors, our moms and dads thought that with Emmett Till's death, things would change. And his was horrific, horrific, because he allegedly, allegedly whistled at a white woman. Well, well, which came the, went on her deathbed when she said, like, he didn't even do any of those things. She lied. She lied, Molly. And this boy oh, yeah. lost his life in the most brutal way at brutal. 14. Correct. So when people expect me to sit back and be like, well, your child will be fine. Why would something happen to your child? What do you mean? You mutilated a 14-year-old and you decimated, you, you asphyxiated a grown man. When you, like up, you, the police officers were in power, you had power over that situation. So why would I feel safe? I don't feel safe. I don't feel good. How can I don't feel like... No, you you can't. And I don't feel like, I don't feel like this country is there yet. I so badly want them to be. But I truly believe the only reason these men were even arrested is because the country was in complete chaos and people said, I've had enough. Mm -hmm. I think that's the only reason those men were arrested. So if we had to force your hand to arrest, what happens if they're not convicted? What then? It's a vicious cycle. And I don't, like, I'm not saying like, I'm Einstein. I'm not saying like, I, I'm the know-all to be-all, but I don't, honestly, I don't think it, at this point anyone knows how to break this cycle because the country was built on this cycle. That's what really worries me is that there really yeah. is no answer. It's so deep and there are so many systems that are in place that are, you know, built against yeah. Black and brown people. And it's like, where do you even start? Yeah, it's, it's like, where do you even start? It's crazy. Yeah, that's, yeah, I agree, Tiffany. Do you guys think that it would maybe be a step in the right direction or a start with simply just acknowledging, like acknowledging the history? Because I feel like so many times the history is not even acknowledged. Like it's, it's such an embarrassment. They don't want to talk about it and it's downplayed. They don't want to talk about slavery and, and things like that. But do you feel like just even acknowledging that part of, of American history would be a step forward to just say like, like we know this happened, that these atrocities took place and we're sorry. And we wanna just acknowledge that. I think people acknowledging that racism still exists in 2020 is a step forward because I think a lot of folks have made the decision to say, you know what, no, we've had a black president. There's no way people are still racist. Lies, lies. People need to acknowledge that racism still exists. And I think that people are starting to acknowledge that it does. And I mean, it is a step in the right direction, but again, there are so many things that are in place that are so far above us. It's like, man, 
it, it seems overwhelming, but that that's no excuse to stop, you know? Yeah, we have to keep going and we have to just keep having the conversation. And, and I think it was you, Marissa, that just said that like, this can't be over after seven days, like, or maybe Shaquita, but I mean, it's just like this, this has to be an ongoing conversation. This isn't a trend. This isn't just a, just some fad that all of a sudden this isn't a hot topic. Like it's reality and it's a live experience for millions of Americans and it's not okay. And it has to stop and it has to end. And, you know, I mean, I think one having important conversations is good, but, and then, and then really getting to, you know, the heart issue and, and changing hearts and then having those hearts impact homes and homes impacting neighborhoods and name neighborhoods impacting communities and so on and so, so forth. One of the books I read earlier this year was, um, why are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria um, by uh, Beverly? Oh my gosh, off the top of my head, I cannot remember her last name. She's a um, Dr. Beverly something. Uh, that's embarrassing. I'll have it in the, the comments. I can't remember her last name, but it was, it was so, it was so good. Um, and one of the best books I feel like that, that I've personally read that really helped to illuminate a lot of just, not just systemic things, but like, cultural and just underlying things that have to do with racism. And, and she talked about how there was a program that was started in, I think it was in Atlanta. And, um, and I can't remember what the title of the program was, but basically where it was like a black person and a white person were literally paired up to become friends. And it was like, they did this in this community where they was like, people signed up to like, it was like a buddy system, but it was like two people who were very different, who looked very different. And they were like, they had to meet, I think it was at least in-person monthly, talk weekly, and then get their families physically together once a quarter. And they talked about the studies that were done about this, the, the change that was happening in this community when people started to open up their, their inner circles to people that look different from them and, and how on for both the, the black and the white people, the change that was happening, the conversations, the shared experiences, the different experiences, and how that was having ripple effects in the community and how there's a lot of other cities that are then trying to implement similar programs. And it sounds so silly. It, it sounds like really you're going to like buddy system, like pair people, but like the research was showing that it was like, no, this was like changing racism. This was like changing communities and changing people. And I just thought that was so fascinating. I mean, cause it's like something that we can have a conversation about. It's like, well, duh, of course that makes sense. But then to see like actual, like hard data paired with these stories was just amazing. Yeah. It's like those old talk shows where you would get somebody who was like a hardcore racist to come on and then bring on like a black person and they would talk and they'd be like, Oh, you know what? I actually don't believe what I thought mm -hmm. I believed, you know? Yeah. Having a, yeah. yeah. You yeah. like Chipotle oh, and Diet wow. Coke too? Wow. So do I. What a, what a novel concept. That's crazy. God bless Sally, Jesse, Raphael. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Molly, you definitely made a very good point in that this is a heart issue and I was actually thinking about it in the shower. It's like, we can change policies, we can change laws, but if we don't change it the, the way that people think and the way that mm -hmm. people feel, it doesn't matter. You know, it has to start within, like people really have to make changes on the inside for things, for it to really affect change on the outside. It really doesn't matter what we do until 
we change that. You're absolutely right. There was another, like, there's just a lot of research done in general on the way that you actually change somebody's opinion. Or like, I think it was actually a study that was done on nonprofits. And like, when nonprofits are fundraising, that they raise more money when they can like spout off statistics all day long. Like say it's a nonprofit on hunger or something. And they'll be like, you know, 1 billion children in the world are hungry. They can say that and they can raise some money, but say that exact same nonprofit instead just tells a story of one child and puts a face to that, that situation and then a picture. And then you just make... You, you really illustrate who this child is that is hungry. They raise like triple, quadruple the amount of money. And it's like, it's the putting the, I say that as the example of like, you can, it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier with, with George. There was something so personal about it because we saw it. It's like, you can hear the statistics and you can hear these numbers, but when you see a person you see his face, you know his name, you hear about the story about his mom, you start hearing about the story of, of him doing baptisms in the third ward in Houston and his church community and how people loved him. I mean, you start, you hear about the person and it makes, it's different. There's something that's different that it gets to people's hearts, like you were saying, Shaquita. But I just wonder how many faces is it going to take? Because oh. there's been a lot. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know? And every face has a personal story. So yeah. you have to do the work and you have to want to do the work. Like Shakita was saying, yeah. you know, it's, it's internal, it's hard, it, it gets uncomfortable, it's exhausting, but yeah. I mean, you either push forward and continue because you actually want to see the change or things just are going to continue to be the same. Yeah. Yeah. No, you are absolutely right. You are absolutely right. Now, I, I do want to talk about this um, a little bit before we go, because I don't, I don't want to take up all of your time. Um, but just the, again, the work that you guys are doing to, to enact change in the influencer industry, we could talk all day about the lack of diversity in so many different areas. Um, but obviously, this is an area that's very close to us and the lack of diversity in, in, in brands, in campaigns, in influencer trips, in all those kinds of things. I'd love for you guys to just kind of share what has been your experience and what is it that you guys are hoping to really to do through your work with the, just the incredible work that you're doing. Tiffany, you want to take this one? I feel like, I feel like this is, is probably. She's the Rosa Park of influencers. <laughs> Come on. Come on, Rosa. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, good point. I did say in my stories the other day, uh, Rosa Parks said, nah, and I'm saying, nah. <laughs> I think the goal, I don't think, I know the goal is right now we are kind of evaluating and figuring out where you fit, where your voice fits, who's hearing you, who isn't, kind of, you know, you have to assess it. You have to assess, because we know it's racism, we know it's deep-rooted, but some of it, I also believe, is is white privilege. I think some people really don't know. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a difference between being ignorant and being racist. I think there's a difference between being ignorant and complicit. And so I think figuring out where, what lies and where who lies is kind of where we are. Now, long-term, I know, yes, we would like to do something and do different things that make lasting impressions and therefore result in tangible results. 
you know, communities coming together, bridging affluent neighborhoods to impoverished neighborhoods, showing children that uh, racism is learned. It's not, you're not born racist, but I think it's just, honestly, I think it right right now, I really think it's a game of just really assessing and kind of, it's, it's a temperature check. You really have to figure out where people's minds are because though it shouldn't be trending right now, it is. Mm-hmm. And so once this kind of cools back down, you'll have a very good temperature. You'll have a very, very good gauge of where everybody is, where they stand, what they think and what they really want to move towards and how they want to help. Because I think you can, you know, I, I certainly can be on social media until I'm blue in the face. But if I'm not having those conversations at home, if I'm not calling people on it, if I'm not making myself uncomfortable and having uncomfortable conversations and moving on that, what, what are you doing? Right. I mean, social media is great. It's a great platform. You can touch a lot of people. You can touch the masses. But it also, I think, starts at home and it starts with yourself, you know? So, and as for brands... Yeah, that's a tough one. I think it is time for brands to be called on the carpet. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's time to raise a hand and say, hey, we're not okay with this and let's talk about it. And it doesn't it doesn't have to be screaming. It doesn't have to be yelling. But I think you have to speak up and excuse the cliche, but you really do have to strike when the buying pan is hot. You have mm-hmm. to. You have to. We can't wait until... A couple weeks from now, we can't wait till a couple months from now. A couple weeks, a couple months from now, like we should be, we should almost be building on the conversation, not starting it. So, yeah. And I, I mean, I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but I was actually having a conversation with another um, influencer friend earlier today about this. Is like this is actually, I, you know, like we were talking about how like four hundred years, like it's it's going to be really difficult to undo overnight this is an area where we can make changes rapidly. Like it's not that hard as a brand. If there are any brands listening, guys, it's not that hard to find influencers to work with who look different than each other. It's it's not actually that hard. Like if a brand or a, uh, a PR agency is hosting an influencer trip when we were allowed to travel again, like it's not that hard to find incredibly qualified women of color to invite on the trip because they're qualified to be there and they're not, you're not checking a diversity box. You know, Molly, but I don't even, sometimes like I was, it's funny. I was talking to my friend and we were talking about, like I said, the same thing. I was like, it's not that hard though. And her response to me was, no, it's not that hard, but you have to find value in it. Mm. You have to actually find value. And if you don't find value in having diverse conversations and having diverse people around you, you will continue to surround yourself with the people who look just like you. Yeah. No, you're right. And I don't know, you know, some people do value us. Some people don't, you know, George Floyd is a prime example of not being valued. And so I, but I think, I think it's that same mentality with brands, you know, it's the value you have to value having diversity these black women who can really tap into another market. For yes. You. you would think, you would think, one would think. Yeah. I know that we, we had yeah. a conversation earlier talking about brands and how there was a conversation with someone who had mentioned like, you know, whenever people of color are posted, it's just yeah. not as engaged with as when white women are posted. 
which is crazy to me, but you know, it's understandable because you know, it's America. So even even though we're wearing the same thing as our white counterparts, it's not as well received because it's on a black body, you know? And I think that also makes brands hesitate to, you know, engage us in those those contracts and engage us in, in those partnerships because again, going back to research, they've done the research and they know like we're not gonna sell as much if there's a black woman wearing this outfit, which is unfortunate, but again. Which is crazy because I remember when we when we did, you know, talk about it, one of the things I said is whenever I am scrolling through Instagram and I do see like a maybe a major brand or a major label feature a, a black woman or, or a woman of color, I get excited. I'm like, oh, I need, right. I, I just go like it just because, because I'm like, it's so good to like see someone who looks like me wearing whatever it is or, or using whatever it is. Like, I want to learn more about it then. Cause I'm like, oh, I, I identify with that. Let me, let me go take a look and see what, what is this? You know, are they having a sale? Is this like a new mm -hmm. line? Like what's, what's going on? Like for me as a black woman, I get excited and I want to go see what else, what, what else is there? I think when brands get to the point where they place humanity over profit, then you will see yeah. the change. And not until then. Like they have to place humanity over profit. And it's sometimes it's just so mind boggling to me that we even have to have the conversation. And I, I appreciate a good dialogue. I truly do. But sometimes I'm just like, really? But again, I think they have to put humanity over profit. I think once they understand that that's their responsibility, I think once they really take mm -hmm. that on as their responsibility and admit that's their responsibility, I think then you will see a much more diverse pool of women and men on these campaigns. Mm -hmm. You make a good point, Tiffany. I mean, they have to be willing to forge ahead because people adapt. Like, okay, this is what we used to do, but all right, this is the new normal. Like we adapt, you know. So I definitely agree. Right. Like they've got to make the decision to forge ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And I am just so, uh, I'm just so grateful that y'all have just created this platform and this, um, just the amazing, like I said, the amazing work that you're doing to be a part of the education of people and like, just helping them to see and like showing them like you've done the research, like you've got the receipts, like, okay, like literally like you can show these brands that like there's incredible power, um, buying power in the minority market. But again, when you begin to just, you know, make these, these micro changes and then when white people are seeing this as normal. Like it just becomes normal. It doesn't have to be this thing where it's like, oh, look at that. They're using a woman of color in this, in this magazine. Like, it's just like, oh, look, that's Jaquita. Or like, oh, look, it's Tiffany. Look, it's Marissa. Like, it's just, it's just, nor it becomes normal. Right. I wish brands would take the same approach that um, yeah. Rihanna did when she launched Fenty. She launched 40 flipping shades from the fairest of the fair to the darkest of the dark. And right. like, it's been successful. She's, you know, it's, it's, it's a very successful cosmetic line. I, I use it. I buy, you know, products from there. I recommend products from there. She's added multiple, um, you know, new items. Like, I think if everyone kind of took that approach, mm -hmm. we could probably get to what, where you're, what you're saying a little bit faster because she was inclusive from the beginning. 
obviously, like I said, we could have many more conversations about this. And I just, I want to say first, thank you again for your time, for your emotional labor, for the work that you guys have put in um, and for your willingness to share. Like that is not something that you, that you had to do. That was, you didn't know anybody that. Um, and just from the, the bottom of my heart, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I can't say it enough. Before we get to, I do want to end with some levity. <laughs> um, it's just what I, I'm, I'm a former comedian. That's what I like to do is I just like to ask some fun questions. But uh, before we do that, I would just kind of um, like for each of you to just kind of share again, just briefly, something that is just giving you joy right now. Um, maybe the little thing that is just bringing you a lot of joy um, amidst so much heaviness. I think for me, it's the sense of humanity. I, I really, you know, I, I, it's the DMs. Um, it's the constant DMs. And a lot of them say, Hey, you're probably not going to see this, but I just want to say, thank you. Hey, you're probably not going to see this, but I hear you. Hey, you're probably not going to see this, but I just want you to know you're doing an amazing job. And then that makes you feel like you're heard. Like, you know, you've made a difference and I might not mm. be a household name, but this conversation will be in that household, you know? So yeah, that's it for me. Yeah. Oh, that's deep. Huh, being hooked, being out on the front line playing Rosa. I wouldn't say mine has to be just being, just disconnecting, spending time with my husband. That's, that's my happy place. Like, I've been avoiding social media like the plague, aside from just reposting things and sharing things in my stories. I have not spoken on my own page in, in a week, I'm sure. It's just, I don't have the energy, but I just prefer to just be with him, being silly and hanging out. And I ride with him to go to work and I don't help him do any work, but I'm just there. <laughs> it's like, it's happy time for me. I love it. Holding hands, flirting. <laughs> yes. Mostly him asking what I'm cooking for dinner. Well, I met, I met your husband last year and he is just like, he is so funny. He is hilarious. And he is just like, from the moment I met him, I was like, he is madly in love with that woman. Like there That's is like, I just, oh my gosh, y'all are couple goals, couple goals. When, when we were starting this podcast, I was asking him, can you bring me a drink? Can you bring me this? And I was like, you are the best. I like, <laughs> love it. Show me his husband. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, that's so He's good. He's the best. That's so good. He is. Uh, I think my happy moment is kind of, well, I guess maybe sort of twofold, but I think for me, Honestly, having Shaquita and Tiffany there to like text and, and call and message and just be like, this is how I'm feeling or what are y'all doing or look at this thing that I got or, you know, I'm really glad that you said this or I'm so proud of you for that. Like their support truly and their friendship has made such a huge difference. And this is going, you know, before COVID. This is before George Floyd. Like this is, or, or even like in the midst of COVID happening where, you know, there's so much going on and I'm feeling, you know, sort of like depression creeping up just because it's such a stressful time. And Tiffany is like, let's have a social distance picnic at my house. And like that picnic, when I got home that night, like I was in the best mood I've probably been in, in months. Like it was such a needed time 
And they didn't get, like, they sacrificed, it was Mother's Day. They sacrificed time with their families on Mother's Day because we all need, like, we needed that time with each other. And so, you know, their friendship truly makes me find, like, I find happiness in that. And and then, you know, to piggyback off of, of Shakita, my kids and my husband and my family, like, it's, it's nice to kind of put the phone down. And, you know, my three-year-old is in this copycat stage. So he wants to say and do whatever other people are saying. So he's, if, if one hugs me and says, I love you, then he's like, oh, I love you. I love you. I love you. So, <laughs> you know, that, that little moment where he's like, no, 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 I, I love mommy. You know, that, those things make me smile and, and, and just, you know, it takes away some of that mm-hmm. heaviness. I'm not focused on that because then I'm, I'm thinking about what's happening right here with them. Oh, I love that. I love it. You just have the most, the most beautiful family and your kids are so stinking cute. I cannot handle them. They're so sweet. Um, yeah. And yeah, you're right. In the midst of coronavirus right now, like COVID, the the isolation just on top of everything else is just so hard. It's just been so hard on people. So people are already on edge. Oh, come. I just keep looking up at the sky and keep going. All right, Jesus, I'm going to need you to just come on. Just come get your people. Just come on down. Right. Just come on down. Um, all right. Well, this, uh, is my favorite part of the show. Not, I mean, this, this whole show has been awesome, but it's just, just, I like asking some fun, get to know you questions. So I'm going to, since there's multiple of you, I'll ask each one of you a question and then I'll ask my, my last question of all of you. So, uh, Shaquita, I'm going to start with you. If you had to eat the same meal for dinner every night for the rest of your life, what would it be? Macaroni and cheese. (laughs) (laughs) Does that count as dinner? Yeah. (laughs) That's it. Um, Macaroni and cheese every day. I love cheese. Do you have like a, do you have like a special recipe? Kind of. It's it's kind of melded together from different people. Because growing up, listen, I'm from the hood. <laughs> My mama made macaroni from the box. Yeah, crab, yeah no, box delicious. stuff is still good. She would yeah. throw down on that okay. crab. I love it. I still will eat it. My husband is bougie. <laughs> he won't eat it. Watch me. But... I, whenever we lived apart for three years, I would just make a dish of like box macaroni and cheese with ham cubes and, and broccoli. Oh my God. Ooh, girl, it changed my life. But I have to make homemade macaroni for him because, you know, he's from the country. <laughs> but I would just eat it straight from the box. I like craft. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is fantastic. I love it. Uh, that would be probably my daughter's same choice. She loves macaroni and cheese. She can eat that stuff all day long. Love it. All right, Marissa, what was your favorite TV show to watch growing up? Oh my gosh, that's a tough one because I had so many. But I think if I had to narrow it down, <laughs> I think it would be Sister, Sister. I Oh, yes! I love, love Sister, Sister! Sister, Sister. And I remember when it came out, my mom was pregnant with my little sister and I went around telling everyone that she was having my twin because I did not realize (laughs) that you had to be born at the same time. So I was like, oh yeah, she's having my twin and her name's going to be Clarissa and my name's Marissa. And I guess I just assumed she would come out as eight years old. I don't know. Oh my gosh. (laughs) But um, 
that was like my favorite show. I wanted to trust like them. I wanted to have a twin sister. I like would act it out with my friends when we were playing. Like I wanted curly hair. Like I mean, it was just it was just so good to see like two girls that looked like me, and you know that were getting into trouble and doing all kinds of things. That's theme song, sister. Yeah. Sister. <laughs> never now do it. That's the jam. Yeah, I can't remember the words, but y'all remember that. Sister. Oh, yeah. Sister. <laughs> okay, sorry. For anybody that watched Sister, Sister growing up, you're now going to have that stuck in your head. So you are welcome. Yeah. How did I not remember that? Yeah, when I was thinking about like Moesha, Family Matters, Sister, Sister, like, man. I, I love, love that's why I was saying like it's so hard because so there were many so good many ones. good shows. Where did they go? Yeah. We need to bring them back. <laughs> we need a reprise. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, so good. Okay. <laughs> Tiffany. Tiffany, if you were a professional athlete, okay, and you are you are headed up to whatever sport you're playing. Say you're you're a let's say basketball. I don't know, basketball. You're like the starting point guard for whatever team you're playing for you got a hype song that is playing when you're walking up what is your hype song what's the song that just gets you oh that is tough that is tough there's a song what's the drake song it's h y f r that's my hype song i like it that's my hype song yeah Y'all can't uh, see uh, this because this is just uh, audio, but Shaquita uh, is like yes. dancing. Yes. I love it. Like the beat <laughs> on it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's definitely my song. Cause like my, like when my sister and I, like we used to go out, used to, we, we used to go out and then she would play that and I'd be like in the mirror and I'd be like, uh, uh, okay. All right. Like just pause it really quick. But I got to put my mascara on and then I go back. Oh. Yeah. That's my song. Oh, I love it. Oh <laughs> but man. I can never yeah. play sports. <laughs> Oh, hey, it's, okay. It's a, it's a hypothetical world. It's a hypothetical oh, okay. world. Okay, you know? Molly, I just want to make sure. Want to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's, all, it's all hypothetical. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, those days, like, when, remember, like, I don't know how, how old you guys all are. Marissa, I think you're pretty close to my age. Yeah, we're, we're, we're the same age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm old. 29, right? Yeah, 29. Yeah, totally. I'm yeah. 29 for the rest of my life. Yeah. 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 29 <laughs> plus a few. Um, yeah. Like, a friend of mine we're, we're, was talking about, like, when we like yeah when we used to go out i'm like yeah i remember in college and like after college when we would go we would, like go go to a place and there would be dancing and music like <laughs> just feels so long ago <laughs> i feel like an ancient oh woman I'm like now i'm going to physical therapy because i have bad knees I'm like, oh no, that's Shaquita's love language. I'm just saying, I was like, I'm falling apart. <laughs> I'm like, guys, I'm only like in my mid thirties. How is this happening? Like my back hurts. I wake up, everything hurts. I'm like, I try to, I try to dance and like my quads are burning within like three seconds. It's just not good. Anyway, like this, this is, is more this information. Is than, yeah, this is just more information than y'all need. <laughs> okay. All right. And my last question is the question I ask all my guests. And um, I would love for you guys to, the question is always, what does it mean to you to run a business with purpose? And um, so the question I'm asking you is together, what does it mean to you to run this business, our shades of influence with purpose? Ooh. Wow. Molly, you should have, you should have yeah. sent us this question. <laughs> hey, I I do. I don't send it on purpose because I want to get your real answer. 
kind of going back to the reason why we started um, was to promote diversity um, in our local market specifically. Mm -hmm. Of course, we want to do that nationally, but not in our local market specifically, but we want to pave the way for people who look like us. You know, it, it sucks that we have to prove that we're worthy, but that's really why we started, you know, and that we, we can show that black women, black men can also represent your brands with integrity Mm. and can also, you know, help you reach a different market. And that's really why we started. Um, and, And that's really our purpose is that we want to create opportunities for people who look like us. We want brands to take a second look and say, oh, you know what? that black woman can do exactly the same thing that this white woman has done for this brand. Yeah. Um, you know, that's my personal opinion. I could be yeah. wrong. You guys, no. am I wrong? <laughs> I'm co-signing on that loan girl. I love it. Y'all, this has been so much, uh, this has just been, this has been fun. This has been emotional. This has been, I mean, just, I am so, so grateful for y'all. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for being with me. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I would really love for you to just share what you learned or if there was something that encouraged you, challenged you, or inspired you, please share this episode. Um, Go follow Marissa Shaquita and Tiffany. Um, I'm going to make sure to have all of their links and information in the show notes. Go follow them. They're just incredible content creators. They're just, they they are as beautiful on the inside as they are on the outside. Um, And just, just thank you so much for listening. I just pray again that this, this episode was encouraging, that there was something that you can take away from it. As always, this show is produced by Third Wheel Media, and I'm so grateful to them for producing this show. Now, everybody, more than ever, go do something good with purpose, on purpose.